Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that was just read. We recognize that your word is breathed out by you, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and also for training in righteousness. And we ask that as the word is preached at this moment, that as we hear it, that your spirit would help us to understand what this particular text says, but also how we might be able to apply it in our lives so that through obedience to your word, we might become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Kim McLean, a research scientist, set out to discover why do storms kill so many people? She learned in her eight years of research that people failed to heed weather warnings, that they failed to listen. Well, why? McLean dubbed this phenomenon as confirm the threat. Even though people are on alert that there might be a tornado in the area, they don't necessarily think it's going to hit them. So they stay and they wait. Unfortunately, they wait a little bit too long because a tornado, when it gets into their area, it's far too late for them to actually leave. And so it's part of human nature for us to ignore such warnings until it's too late. Ignoring warnings can get us into trouble. If we ignore our fuel gauge lights, especially when it begins to flash, telling us that our gas is running low, we can end up stranded on the side of a street. If we ignore the warning that says we should not dive in the shallow end of the pool, we could end up hurting ourselves. If we fail to follow the warning on our medicine that says we ought to take food with this medicine, then we could end up experiencing an upset stomach. Warnings are actually meant to help us so that when that fuel gauge indicator on your car dashboard goes off, it's supposed to help us to tell us we need to go fill up our gas tanks. And that warning that says we should not dive in the shallow end of the pool, it's meant to protect us from injury. The label on our medicine that tells us we should take food with it, it's supposed to help us be able to eat the medicine so that it can have its full effect, so it can heal us and alleviate any symptoms we might have. Now, this applies to all types of warnings, uh, warnings that we find in our cars, our swimming pools, and our medicine, but it also applies to spiritual warnings, too, that spiritual warnings are meant to help us, and that if God warns us about something, then we need to pay attention. So what does God warn us about? Well, at HCC, we've got begun a book series, a book study in our preaching through the book of Micah. Now, Micah's ministry occurred during a time within Israel's history when the kingdom of Israel had been split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And Micah's ministry focused primarily in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so we'll look specifically at Micah's warning to the kingdom of Judah in Micah chapter 2. And what does the warning in Micah chapter 2 teach us? God expects his people to remain faithful to him. So in this text, we'll discover three ways that we as God's people can remain faithful 
to him. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2. What is the first way to remain faithful to God? Treat others fairly. God expects his people to treat others with respect and with care. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or if you're poor, if you're older or if you're younger. God expects you to treat everyone with care and respect and love. Treat others fairly. Uh, We see this in Micah's warning to the rich landowners of Judah. God warned these rich landowners that if they continue to mistreat the poor landowners around them, then they would lose their inheritance in God's land. These rich landowners would stay awake at night thinking about how they might scheme and take away their neighbor's land and their neighbor's neighbor's property. Micah writes this in verse 1. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. Now, I want to focus on this latter half of verse 2. And specifically on the phrase, they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. The word oppress here in verse 2 is actually rendered defraud in the NIV. It has this idea of cheating to scheme. That this rich landowner sees that his neighbor has had a bad harvest and is financially in poor straits. So he goes and offers his neighbor a loan. But he offers a loan at high interest rates. Unfortunately, his poor land-owning neighbor has another bad year of harvest, and he's unable to pay back the debt. And so this landowner, instead of working some kind of payment plan out, decides to take his land instead. And notice it's not just any person's land, it's the inheritance in verse 2. His inheritance. Now, according to Leviticus, God owned all the land of Israel, but he had distributed that land to different families so that they could work it and tend to it and steward it. And these family plots, these family vineyards or orchards or lands were never meant to be given away to other Israelites. But these rich land-owning Israelites in Judah didn't really care what God's word said. Instead, they believed in the phrase, might makes right. Now, the Lord warns these rich landowners that if they take away the inheritance of their fellow Israelites, then he would take away their inheritance as well. How will the Lord take away the inheritance of these rich landowners? Well, God will send upon them disaster, disaster in form in the form of the conquering Assyrians. Uh, Micah writes this in verse three. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. Now, these landowners will not just lose their land temporarily, but they will actually lose it forever. That when the people return to the land, they will have no part in the land of Israel. This is why Micah writes this in verse five. 
Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Then that when people gather together to redistribute the land, God will not invite these rich landowners, that they will have no part in this future land distribution. So what is the lesson that God wants these wealthy landowners to learn? Treat others fairly. Don't extort, don't scheme, don't defraud. Treat others fairly. Now, God has always warned his people to treat one another fairly. God sends the prophet Hosea to the northern kingdom of Israel because he sees unjust business practices. That the Lord was seeing what they were doing in the marketplace. That when people came to make purchases, people would not whip out their phones or cashiers, but they would take out a weight and scales. But unfortunately, these weights that they were using were marked the inappropriate weight. It was weight, you know, it was supposed to be an eight ounce weight. It actually weighed 16 ounces. And they would use these fake weights to cheat their fellow Israelites so that they would mark up prices for food or for clothing. And if these people in the marketplace continued in this unjust, dishonest practice, God would send them into exile. Jesus also warned the Pharisees as well that they may have brought dill, cumin, mint to the temple, but they neglected justice. They wouldn't give widows a fair hearing in their courts. They wouldn't pay their workers a fair wage. And Jesus warned them if they continued in these practices, then woe would come upon them. Well, how do you treat others? When your parents ask you to share this cookie with your brother and you break it in half, do you take the bigger half or do you break it into equal sized pieces? As an employer, do you treat some of your employees better than others? Do you show favor to one child more than the other? Do you assume that because you are older, it gives you a right to look down on those who are younger than you? Treat others fairly. Treat them with love and concern. Don't take advantage of them because of your position or your influence. So what is the second way to remain faithful to God? Learn the entire counsel of God. Learn the entire counsel of God, the whole word. Listen to everything that God has spoken. Don't listen just to portions or to fragments. The entire counsel of God must be studied, meditated upon, and learned. Otherwise, it's possible for someone to come to an incomplete understanding of God. And a partial understanding of God leads to incorrect conclusions. And it should be our lifelong pursuit as believers to know God more. So learn the entire counsel of God. Now, Micah warns a set of false prophets that their teaching is incomplete. It's partial. It's not whole. The false prophets believe that Micah's message of condemnation, this warning, failed to sync up with passages in the Old Testament describing God as a patient, steadfast in love, abounding in loving kindness that Moses writes about in Exodus. They may have also thought about 
Balaam in the book of Numbers and how every time Balaam attempted to curse Israel, only blessing came out of his mouth. So listen to the words of these false prophets as recorded by Micah in verse 6. It says this, Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? And how does Micah respond to these false prophets? How does he respond to this false teaching? Well, he writes in the latter half of verse 7 this, Do not my words, referring to the words of God, do good to him who walk uprightly. Micah might have also added to these false prophets this reference that you're having from Exodus talking about God abounding in steadfast love. Have you read the latter half in verse 7? It says this, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation, that God would punish unfaithfulness. And Micah might have brought up passages in Deuteronomy where there were passages that says that God would bless Israel if they obeyed, but if they disobeyed, then they would experience curse. So why does God care so much about a right understanding of his character? It's because the theology or the study of God determines practice. What you believe about God influences what you do. What you know of God ultimately determines the lifestyle that you adopt. And good theology leads to good practice. Bad theology leads to bad practice. Micah points out that the teaching of these false prophets has led to wicked practices. When the inhabitants of Judah should feel safe, they find that their fellow countrymen are robbing them of their clothes. We see this in verse 8. But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. That these people who thought they would be safe in their own country were in fact unsafe. That people were going to rob them of their own possessions. And then these wicked landowners steal homes from widows and leave orphans destitute. Verse 9 says this. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses, from their young children you take away my splendor forever. So what is Micah's message to these false teachers, especially if they teach this incomplete theology? Expulsion. That God will drive these false teachers out of the land of Judah, just as he drove the Canaanites out for their uncleanness. Uh, Micah puts it this way in verse 10. Arise and go. For this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. That they had brought uncleanness to the land of Judah. And because of that uncleanness, the Lord will kick them out. 
Now, Micah not only condemned these false teachers, these false prophets, but he also condemned those who listened to them. He says that Judah, the people of Judah, desired these messages of prosperity and wealth with the absence of judgment. Micah writes this in verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. So what does wine and strong drink have to do with preaching? Well, wine and strong drink typically flows when the land is experiencing prosperity. And Micah compares this prosperity message of these false prophets as all wind and no substance, that they have no value for one's spiritual well-being. And we see that God has always sent spokespeople to correct false teaching. God sent Elijah to the northern kingdom of Israel to confront Baal worship, saying that Israel cannot worship two gods. They can only worship one. Who would they choose? God also sent Jesus to correct the uh, incorrect teaching of the religious leaders of his time. They, he corrected their misunderstanding of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was not a means to advertise one's spiritual maturity, but it was a time to enjoy God's blessings. That these, false, these religious teachers had a misunderstanding of purity. And God says it's not about ritual purity that God is concerned about he's concerned about the purity of heart because the pharisees and the religious leaders had elevated ritual purity above moral purity so what should our response be well we need to learn the entire counsel of god that's why our preaching philosophy here at hcc is to preach through entire books of the bible we cover different genres we cover epistles, we cover narratives, and even wisdom literature. And when we go through, when we had Sunday school, we went through books of the Bible as well. And my encouragement to you would to be to consider reading through entire books of the Bible instead of picking up random verses to read. Thinking about studying one book, understanding its message, its theme, its outline, its flow. And if you feel even more ambitious, consider memorizing an entire book of the Bible. And that by so doing, learning books of the Bible, you begin to grow in your understanding of God. So what is the third way to remain faithful to God? Well, we have to wait for the king. That we have to be patient. For we are a people who are waiting for the return of our sovereign. We are to wait for the king. Micah ends his first large warning from chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 11, with a message of hope, a message of comfort. And we'll see this as a pattern throughout the book of Micah. That after every large message of warning, there is always a message of hope. So what is Micah's message of hope in chapter 2? Well, Micah anticipates God, the shepherd king, to save his remnant. Although Micah issues this warning, he knows that Judah will not listen. 
God will then send first the Assyrians to take away some of Judah. And later, the Babylonians will completely conquer Judah and take everyone away into exile. And at that time, God's people will wonder, has God abandoned us? And what is God's reply? I have not forgotten you. And God promises to regather his faithful followers, even though they're in exile. God invokes the image of a sheep, flock, and a shepherd to be able to convey this message. Listen to what Micah says in verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Why does God use the imagery of a shepherd and a flock of sheep? Well, God has often described himself as a shepherd. Recall the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And Micah uses this image of God as a shepherd two more times in this book later in chapter 5 and also in chapter 7. So like a shepherd gathering his flock of sheep in a pen, God will also gather his remnant together. Micah goes on to explain how God not only will gather the sheep, but he's going to break down the walls that are holding Israel captive, that is holding Israel in exile so that they can go free. He probably has in mind the walls of Babylon that will come down so that the Israelites could return to the land of Israel. Micah wrote this in verse 13. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. And when we see the entire Bible When we survey it, we see that God has always saved a remnant. God saved Noah from the flood through the ark. God saved Jacob's family by bringing them down to Egypt to avoid a famine. And God would eventually save the Jewish exiles in Babylon. And as Christians, we understand this even more. For we have not been delivered from an oppressive king of famine or disease or a flood, But God sent Jesus Christ to break us out of, not a physical wall, but he broke us out from the prison of sin. That he tore down those walls so that we might be able to experience freedom. God, through Jesus Christ, led us out of our bondage to sin. Through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And Jesus now serves as the head of the church, and he is the king seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And that while we have been delivered from the exile of sin, we still remain as sojourners in this world. We are a people, as Peter writes in his letter, that we are just passing through this land. And we await the day when Jesus will return and establish his kingdom. Now, when we think about waiting, it's not something that we particularly enjoy. Uh, Waiting seems to be a very passive activity. When I think about waiting, I think about waiting in my doctor's office, thumbing through a magazine, going through my phone's email, and just waiting for them to call my name so I can see my physician. But that's not what God means by waiting. 
God encourages us to wait to br- by bringing God's peace to the communities which we find ourselves in. So how do we wait for the king faithfully? During this time of waiting, what are we supposed to do? Well, first, we are to issue warnings of sin's consequences, that we teach others that sin has serious ramifications for one's life, that if you lie to somebody, it not only is the lie that is wrong, but it also affects the relationship as well, that it's going to take a while to rebuild those bridges of trust. And not only will sin have consequences and ramifications here on earth, but it has eternal effects as well. That those who remain in sin will also experience God's wrath. And then after death, they will be forever separated from him. And we are to warn people in this time of waiting of sin's devastating effects. Now, not only do we warn people of what awaits them after death if they continue in sin, but we also invite people to follow the king. We share with people that God has invited all people to be a part of his kingdom and to have a relationship with him. But the cost of admission into the kingdom is faith in Jesus Christ, in his work on the cross and his resurrection. That Jesus paid the price for your sins and confers on you his righteousness so that you can have relationship with God. And this is available to you if you believe it, if you believe in what Jesus Christ has done. Now, how might we remind ourselves that we are sojourners, that we are people who are waiting? Well, every time you take out a means of identification, it could be your student ID, your driver's license, your passport, or your work badge, I want you to remember that you also have a spiritual ID that says members of God's kingdom. That every time you whip out that identification card, think about how you can act in accordance to your identity as a member of God's kingdom who's waiting for the king to return. So what does Micah's warning teach us? He teaches us to remain faithful by treating others fairly, learning the whole counsel of God, and to also wait for the king. Tilly Smith A 10-year-old and her family relaxed on a beach in Thailand for their first family vacation. As her family walked down the beach, she noticed something odd about the water. The waves continued to go out, but they never came in. And this prompted her to remember a video that she watched in class about tsunamis. And then she put the dots together. A tsunami was coming. Tilly began to warn her family with passion and persistence that a tsunami was coming. Now, what would you do if your 10-year-old daughter begins to scream and shout louder and louder, a tsunami is coming, a tsunami is coming? I imagine that parents would try to calm her down and say, get a hold of yourself. This is inappropriate behavior. Well, Tilly's dad took her back to the hotel room so that she could calm down. But Tilly would not be stopped. So she left her room to find her dad, and Tilly found her dad talking to a security guard, saying that, Sir, my daughter thinks that there is a tsunami coming, and I know it sounds crazy. 
And with this warning, the security guard shouted for everyone to get off the beach. And moments later, a tsunami triggered by an earthquake in the Indian Ocean would sweep the beach. That tsunami killed an estimated 230,000 people, but not one person on Tilly's beach died. So what will our response be as we hear God's warning? When we hear God warning us through the prophet of Micah, will we ignore it? Or will we listen and obey? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the warnings that we find in it to encourage us to live in a way that is pleasing to you. We thank you for the prophet of Micah and his ministry to the kingdom of Judah and how his warnings then are still appropriate for us now. We pray that your spirit would help us to remember these truths and also to apply in our lives so that we will conduct our lives in a way that brings you glory, but also reflects the idea that we are just sojourners in this land awaiting the return of our King. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.